Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Crimes, Killers, Cult, and Beer. Um, joining us today, once again on the show, is Jody Pluche. How's it going, Jody? Going good, how about you? I'm good, I've had a crazy day, <laughs> but I'm here. <laughs> so, um, what, you drinking anything tonight? I got me a little of a vodka and water in my little purple sippy cup right here, little LSU sippy cup. I got my um, Bud Light in a shit brown bottle. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, so tonight we're covering um, a case that Jody requested specifically because it happened to in his hometown, which is Baton Rouge. <laughs> I could I couldn't roll the R. I couldn't get oh. it right. Baton. I, sometimes I can do it. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> I just. I just stick with simple Baton Rouge. You know, I know a lot of when I watch sports games, they're like, we're here live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's like <laughs> saying New Orleans. It's yeah, New it's, Orleans. It's New Orleans. <laughs> but, but we're covering serial killer Derek Todd Lee. So, um, I, I had heard, I knew about him, but I hadn't really dug into it. Once I dug into it, holy shit, that guy was a piece of shit. <laughs> Yes, that comes with the title serial killer. Just piece of shit is kind of just like given. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, this this guy was, yeah, why he's not more infamous than he is, I don't understand because he's definitely up there among the sickest. Yeah, so. So if you don't know, if you're listening and you don't know who Jody is, go back and listen to our episode on Gary Pluche, and then go listen to our episode interview with Jody Pluche, and that should get you caught up. Jody's father is a national hero, and I'm going to let him talk about that a little bit. Uh, just when I was uh, 11 years old, uh, or when I was 10 years old, I was put in my <clears throat> karate class, and my karate teacher uh, sexually abused me for the, the next year. Eventually, he kidnapped me and took me from my house in Baton Rouge to Anaheim, California, where he was arrested. Um, two weeks, I came home immediately. Two weeks after um, I came home, police went out to California to bring, his name was Jeff Doucette, back to Baton Rouge. Well, uh, program director at Channel 2 WBRZ here in Baton Rouge told my father, oh, they're bringing So my dad, with that information, went to the air, Baton Rouge airport with a gun, Tucked in his boot, got on the payphone, called his best friend, and when they walked by, he turned and shot him point blank ways. Uh, pretty much, he officially died the next day, but he was dead before he hit the ground. Yeah, uh, brain dead anyway, and then he died officially the next day. <laughs> yeah, they kept him on life support to harvest his organs. And um, the happy ending to the story is my father never went to jail. He got arrested that night, and then he got out on bail on Monday morning. And he never served a day in prison. He uh, got five years probation and 300 hours community service. Yeah, and definitely a, a national hero, if you ask me. <laughs> um, every every Father's Day, my Twitter, Facebook blows up. Yeah, that was his birthday too, right? His birthday, he shares with the Marines. That's oh, November okay. 10th, that, the, that's... the Edmund Fitzgerald sank. Um, but uh, Father's Day, people... You know, or March 16th, they'll say Gary Ploche's day, Ploche day, but then on, cause that's the day he shot him. But on Father's Day, he gets probably 10 times as many people, uh, walked into uh, the store I work 
say my book was on the counter. Uh, why Gary Why available at Amazon? Little cheap plug. But a guy like? looked at the title. The a guy looked at the book and he goes, "I put that man as my screensaver every Father's Day because he just knew the story <laughs> from the video." That's awesome. He didn't even know who he was talking. He didn't know who was talking to me. He just he just made that comment and walked on out the store. Well, the um and and the the interview episode that we did with you um you know that I didn't really get to tell you that that came out a really funny way. I mean, I was aware of I mean, every who who hasn't heard of Gary Plachet's case, but I didn't really know. I I knew the story, but I didn't know it by name. And I have a friend who's on a, another podcast, Mental Illness Theater. Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Gina. And together we are Mental Illness Theater, or at least we try. I would try to survive it. <laughs> We're the hosts of The Worst, a podcast where I deep dive horrible subjects and tell the story to Gina. And I tell terrible, tasteless jokes to kind of break up the awful, soul-crushing details that you bring us. I try and you try, and that's what makes it great. Yeah, I mean, stop being upset. We are trying our best. And honestly, we're weird people. We find this makes it a little more palatable to get through the horrible details of some of the worst true crime. Yeah, because otherwise, I just want to take an ice pick to my own eardrums. I can't do it anymore. No. So if you're the type of person who finds, you know, Weekend at Bernie's the most hilarious movie ever, we might be up your alley. Give us a try. Absolutely. Just look for Mental Illness Theater on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you happen to use for podcasts. Thanks for listening, and bye. Bye. And um, we decided that we were going to... Um, you know, pick an episode for each other. And he picked Gary Plachet. I'm like, okay, Gary Plachet it is. I'm like, oh, okay, I remember this. So, um, so we do the episode and, um, you contacted me on Twitter saying you liked it. And that's how we wound up doing the interview. And, but yeah. I'm surprised because I listened to another interview with you today uh, when I was on my way back from Fort Lauderdale. Um, uh, I got some shit wrong on my episode. <laughs> No, it's a pretty critical detail. I said that he was um that his job I said that he was a that he was a a liquor salesman, not a machinery salesman. <laughs> well he, he was a liquor salesman. He oh. was a liquor salesman at one point. Yeah, he was a liquor salesman. Okay. Like so, I said, if it was something cr- critical, I would be like, yo, look, you know, because a lot of times people say, Well, you know, the parents split up, which they did. They separated for years, but they never got divorced. They were still married um the day my father died. So they, they were never divorced. Um, my went away to Biloxi for you know several years, but she eventually moved back home before my dad even had a stroke to go to the nursing home. I mean, she, the three of us were living in the house together. Yeah. Well, I just yeah, I was listening to that, and I, I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I didn't get it completely wrong. I've got it half right. <laughs> no. Yeah, he he was a liquor salesman, and then he left liquor sales to go into heavy equipment sales. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, but never gave up the liquor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um it anyway that that was that was awesome. I mean, it, you know, the, the way the way that that all came to to be, you know, based and he, he kind of he's like, "Damn, I should have just done the Gary Boucher episode." <laughs> like, well, thank you, Mark. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's dig into it. We're covering Derek Todd Lee. Um, he was known as the Baton Rouge serial killer, a very, very original 
name, if you ask me. I mean, that that was just creativity that li- that knows no ends when they came up with that one. <laughs> my little my my little brother once had a, a goldfish. He named Swimmy, so it was kind of like the same. You know, just went with the obvious. You know. Well, it was obvious. It was originally when they first named it. It was the Ghost of Baton Rouge, and I think well, that that's more ominous. But at least he's not Sean Mullins or the other Baton Rouge killer. <laughs> but um, he was born November 5th, 1968 in Francisville, Louisiana. And he was the second of four kids. Um, he was born to Samuel Ruth and Florence Lee. He, re- he raped and murdered at least seven women from 92 to 2003 in the Baton Rouge area. But murder was, as usual... An escalation. He had been arrested for stalking women and watching them in, in their homes and everything. But part of the reason why he got away with it so long was because most of his victims were white and police assumed that they were looking for a white man. Derek Todd Lee was black. So also what made things difficult was that there was another serial killer operating in the, the same area at the same time, Sean Vincent Gillis. And farther south, Ron, the potato Dominic was operating uh, around New Orleans. Sources for this one are World's Most Evil um, Serial Killers documentary, IMDb bio, and wiki. I graduated from Louisiana State University. At this time in my life, when Derek Todd Lee started um, really scaring the, the town of Baton Rouge, I was living in Pennsylvania, so I was watching this from afar. I mean, because it was a national story. It was on MSNBC. It was on CNN. It was on Fox News. So, uh, I mean, I even, I think John Walsh came down and did uh, America's Most Wanted. Um, so I wasn't living here then, but I actually went to middle school with one of the uh, victims. Oh, really? That's crazy. <laughs> Your middle school has seen a lot of action. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's your right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I was kind of getting stuck on. It's just like, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? And then, and then, um, that and what else, what else went on at that middle school or what was tied to that middle school? <laughs> um, uh, you want to be, let me be honest. Uh, um, one of Shaq's uh, really good friends was a teammate of mine at, uh, at Kenilworth Middle School. And then, I mean, he's, you know, he's one of Shaq's best friends and one of his, I guess, uh, personal assistance. He's with Shaq everywhere Shaq goes. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more, too. <laughs> At least that's something positive. At least that's something yeah. positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek Todd Lee had a type. He, he liked young white brunettes, and he wanted to control and dominate them before killing them. And one thing that sets Derek Todd Lee apart from other serial killers was that he would stalk and study his victims for weeks at a time. You know, kind of like what... BTK did with his trolling, although he didn't make a huge spectacle about it like BTK did, like it, like what he was doing was something special. Um, there was nothing special about Derek Todd Lee, and that was just how he liked it. But his motives were different. It wasn't completely about sex. It wasn't completely about the thrill of the kill. His main motive was the fact that he absolutely hated women. So... When he was a kid, his father was sent to prison for the attempted murder of his mother. And this may have actually been ground zero for his hatred for women. You know, his his child brain likely blamed his mother for his father going away. Possible. 
Very possible. Especially because he wasn't all that bright. But um, his mom remarried, and she and her new husband raised uh, Derek. He lived in a small trailer park in St. Francisville, and most of his family lived in that same trailer park. He had many siblings, aunts and uncles, and he had a low IQ around around 70 to 75, and he didn't do well in school despite being in special ed classes. But we'll find out that he was extremely street smart. Most of them are extremely street smart. Yeah, and some of them are street smart and educated, and those are the really scary ones. (laughs) But he became a loner at school, and he also sucked his thumb all the time and called his teacher Mama, and that made him the target of all the asshole school kids. (laughs) Of course. As As they tend to be. Yep. At that age. Derek loved, Derek was a kid that loved being outside and he pretty much only came in at dinner time and then to bed. He liked to fish and play basketball, but then he started taking an interest in his female cousins. He'd watch them and it creeped them out and he would also watch them outside their windows as they got undressed. Ew. <laughs> but. Well, a lot, a lot of people consider Peep and Tom's kind of like a nuisance crime, but they don't realize that it could be something that leads to escalation. This is what's exactly what happened here. Right. I mean, and, and his, his family just pretty much, oh, yeah, just, you know, he's just curious. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I'm happy. Well, and, and he also, he, he also wasn't very nice to animals either. There was a, there was some of that in the story as well. So another telltale sign. Yep. Derek would obsess. Oh, wait. This this was a little more than just a curiosity that came along with approaching puberty. Derek would obsess over it, and before too long, he was doing it to other women in the trailer park as well. And he was only six or seven at this point, so this isn't even puberty. This is several years before puberty. <laughs> but so there was definitely something going on there. I mean, I when I was six or seven years old, I'd <laughs> girls ew, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. But he was never abused as a child, and his family kind of brushed away his peeping as just him exploring. So he wasn't told that it was wrong to do this, so what could go wrong? Um, he got used to doing things to, to women without their consent, and that's what it all boils down to. Um, he was never told no by anybody. Yeah, And at, at 13, he started committing petty crimes like shoplifting and he'd get caught and nothing more than a slap on the wrist would happen so this just contribute contributed to his later belief that he was untouchable like i sounds like the louisiana justice system to me yeah <laughs> oh some of the some of the police work toward the end of this was just like what in the hell are you thinking <laughs> by 16 he had been arrested for burglary and assault and he had pulled a knife on another teen and he was charged for second degree murder he was violent, and he refused to follow the rules. And at age 17, he was arrested for peeping. And he had he had dropped out of school at that point, and he had had multiple arrests for voyeurism, burglary, and assault, but he never did any jail time at all. They just kept letting him go. Like, don't do that again. 
it's frustrating, especially having worked for you know a victim services. Um, you can see how victims get frustrated. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like, what, you're going to let this fucker out again? So, at 20 years old, Derek was married, and he got a good job. He bought a nice little house with a picket fence, had three kids, and lived happily ever after. No. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) He had no intention of settling down. He did get married to a woman named Jacqueline Smith, and they had three kids. They did have three kids, and... There was Derek Todd Lee Jr., Doris, and Diedrich. Triple D's. <laughs> Glad to know his genes are still around. <laughs> In all of this, I couldn't find anything about his kids, about what, what, how they turned out or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be tough to know that your father is a serial killer. And then, I mean, even if they still love their father, I mean, he... Uh, I guess it was a good sentence. Oh, I don't want to get ahead of the story. Go ahead, keep going. Yeah, well, well, I mean, but but you're right. I mean, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of things that can mess up a kid, and I would say finding out that your dad's a serial killer is probably at the top of the list. <laughs> but, that would be uh, some t- type of neglect, I would think. Yeah, just a little bit. A serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> But soon after the marriage, he was charged and found guilty of breaking and entering into an abandoned building. Uh, Uh, Let me guess. What were his consequences? Nothing. No jail time. (laughs) Just now, 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 Derek. Don't you do that again. (laughs) All right. We know this is the fifth time you've done it. Don't do it again. You promised us last time. Don't break your promise. Yeah. You can't break the pinky promise Pro, the the pinky promise release program everybody knows that <laughs> but so, soon after the marriage Jacqueline's um, father was killed in a plant explosion there was a settlement and she got lots of money from it and and Derek just took the money and just blew it all on himself buying multiple cars jewelry and fancy clothes and he also used his wife's money to, you know, to attract other women. Really nice guy. Really class act. <laughs> and, and so far, we haven't even got to the bad stuff that he, he does. No. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is this is a long one. <laughs> um, he got a job in construction and started, you know, and at that time, he, as far as his kids were concerned, he was he was okay. I mean, he, he, he was good to his kids, but pretty much nobody else. Um, he had a horrible temper and, um, Jacqueline was the recipient of it most of the time. Plus he'd hit the bar scene. He's drinking. He's picking, picking up women and he's staying out all night and exploding on Jacqueline. And she's so much questioning, you know, just asking where he was. So. Jacqueline filed a restraining order, which Derek ignored. And before too long, she was she was actually looking forward to the times when Derek would disappear. <laughs> That's just, can't just say my blamer. I can't. I don't blame her either. But you know, just get out. Go get, get away, girl. Go leave his ass. Get a divorce. Yeah. I mean, at this point, all he's doing is peeping in people's windows and getting in an occasional fist fight. So, I mean, he's, it's not like he's, you know, the, the Baton Rouge serial killer yet. 
Um, and he was, he was still peeping at this point, and, but that wasn't doing it for him anymore. And he was sleeping around and that wasn't working for him either. He decided, this is when he decided that he needed to hurt women and even to kill them. But while that was back in his, in the back of his mind, he met a woman named Cassandra while hanging out in the bars with his friends and she quickly became his side piece. And she would be his girlfriend for a, a long time too. Um, Being local, I wish, I wish I knew what the bars were, you know, I'd like to know, uh, just out of curiosity, out of my own curiosity, like where, what were the bars, you know, have I been to those bars? Um, odds are I've probably been to a few of them. Probably. I mean, um, the, there's a bar in, um, New Smyrna Beach that is the same bar that Eileen Warnos would frequent. And they've even got a sign up at the table that, or the chair that she sat at, like Eileen Warnos, this was Eileen Warnos' seat. Because <laughs> she was a regular there. Um, uh, <clears throat> I want to cover the. I want to cover that case at that bar. <laughs> I, that, I think that, that would be, be pretty cool. cool. That would be <laughs> at the table at the seat. Yeah, exactly. With with the the camera right there where you can see that sign that says if it's a table, it could just be a, a spot at the bar with a little sign hanging from the ceiling or something. I don't know. I've never been there, but. In 1992, Derek went to Zachary, which is about 16 miles outside of Baton Rouge. He wanted to he wanted to go to a place where nobody knew his name, so he wasn't going to Cheers. Right. <laughs> and it was a nicer area than the place where he had grown up. So, I mean, is Saint is Saint Francisville? Is that pretty much just like a like a ghetto town or something? No, Saint Francisville actually is a really nice town, and, and Zachary's um, they're right next to each other, so it's not really that far away. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's got this nice little history. But that's like, where the, the Myrtle's plantation that's supposed to be haunted, that's in St. Francisville. Oh, wow. So, so like in any town, even a nice town is going to have a bad area in it, which would be the trailer park where, um, yeah, Derek okay. Todd, anywhere Derek Todd Lee was in St. Francisville was a bad area. Okay. Cause he was the bad element. <laughs> yeah. But um, this is where his first murder was believed to have happened. And it was never proven, but everybody's pretty much positive that this was the work of Derek Todd Lee, not Sean Mullis or anybody else. And it was because of the M.O. of the murder. Um, 41-year-old Connie Warner lived in Zachary. She was white, had dark brown hair and fair skin, and she was a single mother with a teenage daughter. And Connie was at home by herself one night and her daughter was out and she noticed that somebody was staring through the the window and she freaked out and called the police and a report was filed. And, you know, not a lot, just movies don't really scare me at all, but whenever there's a scene where the killer is looking through the window and everything, it doesn't really scare me. It just kind of creeps me out a little bit. It's just kind of like the, you know, it's an, an invasion, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I remember, uh, when I was a kid, I probably shouldn't have been watching this movie, but it was based on a true story, um, a murderer out of Texarkana, Texas. It's called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And there's a scene where this guy's just sitting watching TV and he's in front of his window and the, the, the killer goes up behind him and just shoots him in the back of the head. So I've always kind of been a little paranoid about that too. Cause I should yeah. have been watching that as a eight year old. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think mine might have been, um, Salem's Lot. Which did it to me, and I did watch that as a kid. That the scene where the werewolf is looking through the window. 
But um, later, August 22nd of 1992, Connie's daughter had left on vacation with her boyfriend, and Connie was once again alone. And this is speculation, but it does line up with Derek's M.O. He knocked, and Connie answered. Derek pounced, knocked her to the ground, and began viciously beating her, ripping out her hair. And then he, then he dragged her to the bedroom. Um, and this, this is known because there was tufts of bloody hair that, in the living room. And, um, and there was a trail of blood. And there's actually pictures of this. There was a trail of blood from the living room into the bedroom, down the hall, into the kitchen, and then into the, the garage where he threw her into her own car. Connie vomited from the trauma in the car and Derek drove her away in, in his car. After, after she puked in her own car, he puts her into his car, which that doesn't make any sense to me. She puked in her car. If she pukes in yours, you're going to have to clean puke out of your car. <laughs> yeah, that don't make sense to me either. I mean, but again, um, I'm pretty sure he's not thinking rationally at the time of, no. you know, brutal murder. Mm -hmm. But 48 hours later, her daughter returned home from vacation and found the scene. She called her grandfather. Grandfather called the police. The house was trashed and the trail of blood made it easy to de determine that the path, the path that he had dragged Connie on through the house. A serious investigation began, but on the, t on the 26th, four days later, Hurricane Andrew hit Louisiana, and that washed away any evidence that may have been left behind outside of the house. And Hurricane Andrew did a number on Miami. I didn't realize it was, you know, still that big of a monster when it hit um, Louisiana. It was. I was living in Dallas at the time, but, I mean, my brother and my dad, I mean, I've heard stories after Katrina and after some of the other hurricanes that we've had about how they – the neighborhood would cook and they, you know, nobody had power. Um, so yeah, uh, it was a bad one. Um, September 22nd, um, Connie's body was found next to Capitol Lake and it was determined that Connie had died due to a skull fracture. And I think I got that September 20th because they were saying that the hurricane I, I, I got the date wrong, apparently, because uh, the 28th is probably what it was. I, I have it as the 22nd. 22nd is the day that she was killed. But so on the 28th, Connie's body was found next to Capitol Lake, and it was determined that Connie had died due to a skull fracture. But because of because of Hurricane Andrew, there were no footprints, no fingerprints or DNA. You know, the a big monster like that comes through and everything it's, it's just going to wash away pretty much everything <laughs> and it did yeah how far away is baton rouge from the coast from my house to biloxi is two hours um my brother-in-law has a place in past christian and it's like about an hour and a half so i mean it's it's right there okay so so it was it probably wasn't a category five by the time it got to um to baton rouge it might have been like a three or something like that because it's traveling across land it's going to power it's going to start getting weaker right baton rouge is in a i don't want to say a, a great location but it's when it comes to that it's usually slowed down by the time it gets to baton rouge it just knocks the power out 
I mean, you don't have it like where roofs. I mean, you might get some, you know, shingle damage, but for the most part, unless a tree falls on the house, um, you know, we're so, somewhat inlet that we're protected a little bit. And you might get tornadoes after the fact. Right. But yeah, I've been through quite a few hurricanes <laughs> living in Florida. Um, through 1992 and 1998, Derek was arrested several times for peeping and burglary. And this time he did some jail time, maybe a week at the most or whatever. Uh, he began losing jobs because his life was spinning out of control. His marriage was shot because of how horrible he treated Jacqueline and his relation. Okay, here we go. <laughs> his relationship with Cassandra wasn't any better. He couldn't hold a job for any length of time, and he wasn't having success with the random ladies anymore. No. Poor guy. That happens when the money dries up. Yeah, right? <laughs> go in and make it rain? Yeah, you're going to get some. You go in mm-hmm. there You go in there and bum a drink off of somebody, you ain't getting anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So he needed to kill. And more than likely for the second time, because I, I'm convinced that he did kill Connie. So, um, this change in demeanor coincided with the murder of Connie and, you know, we'll never know if he did it or not, but as far as I'm concerned, he done it. (laughs) Yeah, he probably did it. Yeah. You don't just, a week after you, um, a week after a random person dies, you don't have like that big of a change and wind up adopting the same type of MO for your future killings. (laughs) <laughs> right the pattern has been set right so in 1993 he returned to Zachary where he went to a graveyard saw a car with fogged up windows two teenagers were in it making out he opened the door and dragged them out and he hit both of them with a machete and they they both lived and a police officer found them and got them to the hospital the girl who was attacked tried to help police with a sketch artist, and they came up with a sketch, and it did look like Derek Todd Lee, all except for one thing. Take a guess. They were looking for a white guy. Yep, they had sketched a white man. <laughs> In an unrelated story, a man named Derek Todd Lee was arrested for peeping and giving, given two years probation. <laughs> <laughs> I love this detective. Detective David McDavid. <laughs> yep. If your na- if your last name is McDavid, why would you name your son David? I agree. <laughs> but but Dave David McDavid was a rock star. I'm not making fun of him. <laughs> but um just just his name. <laughs> but um he was on the case now as well as um as as and this this attack, as well as the Connie Warner case, bugged him. And then once once Derek Todd Lee hit his stride with killing, Detective McDavid was ser- was positive that it was Derek that was responsible for both um, Connie Warner's murder and the machete attack. In 1998, Derek Todd Lee went back to Zachary again, and he spotted 28 year old single mom. 
of of a three year old. He spotted twenty eight year old single mom of a three year old boy, Randy Mibrewer. Mib- That's who I went to middle school with. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And and actually, I mean, it was uh, we were in middle school, but we had our parents. Her group had her parents drop them off at uh, Funfair Park. It's like an amusement amusement park here in Baton Rouge. And then my group of friends, we all met up there together. And, and you know, I didn't find out till later that that it was her. Oh wow! Um, yeah, <clears throat> but she was white with brown hair, and he said all of, all of the women that he killed were were they were all gorgeous. I mean, he definitely had a type. It makes me kind of wonder what the women that he was hooking up with from the bar when he had that money looked like. Were they, were they kind of not so good looking or were they just attracted to all that money and he was able to get the good looking ones? Uh, that's the question we'd all like to know. Like I said, I'd like to know what bars it was and I'd like to know what type um, he was actually dating. Yeah. Or not, or, you know, hooking up with. Yeah. I want to see a picture of his wife and I want to see a picture of his side piece. Um, but he stalked her for weeks from, from her window and even followed her when she would drive around town running her errands or taking her, her kid to preschool. Um, but one night he decided that he finally had to go through with it and he and Cassandra were out of the bar together and they were arguing because Sandra was tired of Derek flirting with other women right in front of her. <laughs> oh God. So she cut their date short and she left. Derek fuming at 10.30. And he went to a different bar, but that didn't calm him down. So he decided that it was go time. He went to Randy's house and and watched her for hours. And she was watching a movie, and unbeknownst to her, she had a companion watching the movie. The face in the window. Um, I wonder what she was watching. But she then put her son to bed, and then she went to bed. Derek broke in, began viciously beating her, and he even knocked a contact lens out, and and it was fell, fell on the floor. Um, there was blood spatter all over her bed and headboard. Then he dragged her into his car and took her into the swamplands, where he raped and killed her. Um, nobody had seen or heard anything, but... The next morning, a neighbor saw Randy's three-year-old son outside wandering around alone. And she asked the boy where Randy was, and he just said, Mommy, gone. Yeah. And that's because most of his victims were um, mothers, like single mothers. So it's just, I'm surprised that he never went up, you know, never went after any of the kids. Yeah, that, that... Now, this is a good question. I mean, is it, uh, you, you know more about serial killers and crimes than me. Is it that something that's common that they, they get the whole family or the, the kid or is it they go for their particular type and that's what they stick with? Well, it, some, a lot, some of them have a, a type that they stick to and even Derek Todd Lee deviated from that as we're going to find out later. But, um, but like, but, yeah, you know, but then there's other people like BTK that it didn't matter. If he, if he wanted to kill you, he was just going to kill you, and he did kill some kids as well. Okay. Um, but BTK was a freaking idiot, though. <laughs> um, 
The neighbor took the boy inside the house to see if Randy was there, and she wasn't, but she had found blood and evidence of a struggle. And she took the boy to her house, told her husband what happened, and they called the police. And when the police arrived, they went in and searched, and they found the horrific bedroom scene. They took samples of everything they could, and they had a suspect, Randy's ex-husband. Now, this guy... um wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the box. I mean, he, he, um, he tried to cash in the life insurance policy and Randy hadn't, Randy's body hadn't even been found yet. <laughs> so, wow. So that's, that's the way to make that it. That definitely will put you, yeah, that will definitely put you at the top of the list mm-hmm. of suspects. Yeah. You gotta, you have to have a body in order to cash in a life insurance policy. <laughs> but, um, well, but while they were wasting their time with Randy's ex, Derek Todd Lee was gearing up for a repeat performance. Detective McDavid was convinced that, that this was Derek Todd Lee and he lived near Randy and McDavid questioned him. I wonder if you cross ever crossed paths with Derek. Again, that's very possible, but you know, at the time that he was actively in this, you know, I guess, you know, serial killer uh, whatever hunger that it is that they have. Well, was, yeah, you, you were in Pennsylvania, but I mean, I wonder if at some point in your life you crossed paths with him. You no, probably, I, probably, probably did. I'd have to look at what what year was he born? Sixty eight. Okay, so he'd have been four years older than me. So we probably wouldn't have played against each other in sports or anything like that had he played sports. But uh, you know, so it's probably more than unlikely that we crossed paths. Mm. <clears throat> well. I um I crossed paths with one of Louisiana's worst, <laughs> but the Potato Man. That's just yeah. my name for him because he looks like a potato. <laughs> but, um, he, you know, Derek lived near Randy, and McDavid questioned him, and he he agreed to let him search his home, although although he changed his mind right after. And McDavid says in an interview interview that he was. Going toward a closet, and that's when um, Derek Todd told him, Derek Todd Lee told him to get the hell out. Like, permission revoked. <laughs> so he's like, I wonder if there was something in there. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think there was. I think he, I think he was just getting creeped out because the police were in his house. Because when, right. you know, later on, obviously they're going to search his home and they didn't find anything. So I don't think he was a trophy collector. But Randy's case yeah, went. I thought, I thought I saw where he was a trophy collector, but I could be wrong. Nah, he at least not in anything that I found. Um, there's there's only a small handful of uh, podcast episodes about this guy. There's not very many, so I'm glad that you suggested this one to me because I I like the ones that every single podcast out there does. You know, I, I like doing the ones that not every single podcast was done. So, <laughs> but I don't know why this one doesn't get as much re- recognition as others do because it's every bit as, I mean, the, the, this guy's even, this guy's worse than some of the, the heavy hitters. <laughs> right. Randy's case went cold because there was no body. And David went back to the, the woman who 
was attacked in the graveyard and did a photo lineup. And she picked uh, Derek Todd Lee out without hesitation. And he went to get, he went to the judge to get an arrest warrant for him, but the statute, the, the statute of limitations had run out. I think it was five years and this had been like six. I don't think there should be a statute of limitations on a, on a freaking machete attack, you know? Right. I wonder how they came up with five years. It's like, okay, you know what? Knife, uh, five years. I was a machete. Five years seems reasonable for the statute of limitation. Yeah. Huh. It was a freaking machete. <laughs> I mean, damn, the, the, the way that they, that some of these cops worked. Well, David McDavid was working this case, but if the Baton Rouge police had been working on this, they might have thought that it was a freaking Mexican cartel or something because it was a machete attack. Right. <laughs> if he had killed Connie, which he did in my opinion, then he's done this and gotten away with it twice now. And um, he, don't, he had just begun at that point. And... And he's got to be feeling really good about the fact that some that they're looking at somebody else for his murder. The the ex husband of Randy. Right, but I imagine with David McDavid going and questioning, that probably made him nervous um, as well, or maybe it made him more cautious in the future not to leave any evidence. He left plenty of evidence. I'm just saying his right. evidence. But the fact that the uh, that they well, we'll get there. <laughs> Another, there, there's so much, there's so much that law enforcement got wrong in this one. It's just, it, oh, yeah. it, I mean, it, it baffles me. I, I thought about making a Dick Darwin segment for this, but even, even Dick Darwin would be shaking his head at this one. <laughs> Dick Darwin is my boob of the Dallas Police Department. <laughs> he thought okay, that, he thought the JFK assassination was a suicide. <laughs> so um and in June of nineteen ninety-nine, Derek began stalking a thirty-six year old woman named Colette Walker. It, this was in his hometown of Francisville, of St. Francisville. He was obsessed with her, and he walked up to her in the parking lot of her apartment and he began asking her a bunch of questions like You got a boyfriend? Wanna go for a ride? Wanna go for a ride my pimp mobile over here? Uh, want to go get a drink with me? And she just said, ew, and pushed past him and made it into her apartment. But Derek wasn't finished. And two days later, he was waiting for her. When, um, and when, when she opened the door to her apartment, he rushed her up and pushed her inside and locked the door. He started looking around her apartment, asking about pictures that she had and picking things up. He was He was giving himself a guided tour of her place. And then um, he asked her out again. And once again, she said no. She said he was crazy. And Derek said, well, if I was crazy, I could rape you right here and nobody would know. He then wrote down his phone number on a piece of paper and told her to call him. <laughs> so we got fingerprints and a phone number. Yeah. <laughs> well, his fingerprints were already on file, but... You know, from, well, from all the arrests that, well, maybe they didn't fingerprint him. All, all the arrests that he had, like, prior to all this, maybe they didn't fingerprint him. Maybe it was never even processed. Who knows? That's got to be the case. 
the people that he left in the house, he had to have touched things in the house. So, you know, they obviously, they either didn't have his fingerprints on record or, um, or they just, you know, didn't think about dusting her fingerprints. <laughs> Colette reported him to the police and that got him another two years of probation. Shame on you. You don't break into somebody's house and ask them out on a date. <laughs> Were you able to find out whether or not he was keeping up with his probation duties, reporting to his parole probation officer and that kind of thing? Nothing was mentioned, so I'm guessing that there probably was. Although, well, at one point, you know, actually we're about to get, get to it right now. He did violate his probation and that, that got him, um, you know, that got him some prison time. So in February of 2000, Derek was at a bar again with Cassandra. And once again, she got mad at him for flirting with other women and, and left. Derek followed her out and brutally attacked her in the parking lot. And she pressed charges and for violating probation, he spent a year in prison this time. Actual prison. Although they didn't take a DNA sample from him. <laughs> was that even practiced commonly back then? Yeah, this was 2000. DNA was a big thing now at this point. And if you're a, and if you're sent to prison, I mean, you know, if you're sent to prison, they take a, you know, if you're if you're um put in prison for a felony, they're taking DNA regardless, you know, it doesn't matter what you did. So, I mean, that's just that's, and I I think that that was the case even back in two thousand. But I don't think if you're just you know, looking through someone's window, they're going to take your, D, your DNA. Even if you just you know get in a fight with somebody, I don't think they would take your DNA. I, I, but I'm you know I don't, wouldn't know that. But this is um this is a brutal attack on a on a woman, um which was also a parole violation or a, a probation violation. So yeah, they would they would I think that. If it happened now, they'd be taking the DNA. So I I don't know about in 2000. But the way that they talked about it in the documentary that I watched, it, it kind of made it like, it seemed like it was an oversight. They, they just forgot to do it. So it, it seemed like it was in practice. They just, you know, they just dropped the ball. Again, that's Louisiana for you. <laughs> In September 2001, um, he had been stalking 40-year-old Gina Wilson Green, and she had even told her mother several days prior to her murder that she thought that somebody was watching her. And September 23rd, Derek breaks into her house, or he tried to break out into... He, damn it. <laughs> he tried to break into her house, but he set off an alarm. So he waited until Gina calmed down and went back to bed. And at this point, it was early in the morning, you know, before he felt comfortable doing it in there. So this time he broke into the house without setting off the alarm. He strangled and beat and raped her. And then he staged her in a bed and she wouldn't be found until two days later when a coworker showed up at her house to check on her because she hadn't come to work. He laid low for a few months, and then went to Stanford Ave Stanford Avenue in Baton Rouge. Um, 
is, I know where that's at. What is that? Because the is it, is it, is that like part of LSU? It's right off of LSU's campus by the LSU Lakes is what they're called, and it's basically if you got into the lake on LSU's campus and paddled across it, that would take you to Stanford. Because LSU was modeled, I think, when they were uh, – I forget exactly how it goes, but they hired the same architectural firm as Stanford University did. So a lot of the buildings look similar to Stanford University. And so Stanford Avenue got the name, um, I guess, as a tribute to Leland Stanford. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Detective McDavid had been following these murders, knowing full well that it was Derek Toddley. And these murders in Zachary happened near where he lived. And, and when Gina was killed, um, McDavid went to the Baton Rouge police with, with his suspicions, but they blew him off saying uh, that her murder was a one-off. <laughs> Mr. Puke has got to be the luckiest serial killer of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just time after time after time, he just he's just getting break after break after break, and it's just like, yeah, luck. <laughs> so, in January of two thousand two, he got a good job at a chemical plant in Baton Rouge that he would keep for a while, two whole weeks. <laughs> oh, good job! Yeah. But on January 14th of 2002, he set his sights on 21-year-old LSU student, Gerilyn DeSoto. And this is where the um, the phone murders started. He knocked on the door asking if he could use her phone, and she let him in, and she handed him one. And he hit her, he hit her with it so hard that she got a skull fracture from it. So this is either one of those old Nokia cell phones, or it's a, a, land, a, a wall a wall-mounted phone, yeah, a landline. Or it could have been one of the, you know, cordless phones. Remember back in the day, you had the cordless one you could mm. walk around the house. It could have been, a, you know, one of those. Yeah. But those old Nokia cell cell phones. I mean, you could be a serial killer with that as your weapon. Those those things are indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> but she ran into her bedroom looking for her husband's gun. She found it and she aimed it at Derek and pulled the trigger, but the gun wasn't loaded. And she tried to beat him with the gun, but he overpowered her and he stabbed her repeatedly. And she was later found by her husband. And there, there had been a number of calls to the police because they had been fighting a lot and he had gotten, you know, rough with her. So her husband became the prime suspect. Prime suspect. Mush mouth tonight, but. Baton Rouge police still didn't make the connection that there was a serial killer on the loose, but David McDavid, Detective David, Detective McDavid knew. (laughs) A connection in all these victims, all of them, was made. They were all successful women going places. They're all gorgeous, and none of them would ever give Derek the time of day. And Derek believed that these women were supposed to be subservient, seen and not heard, basically indentured servants and sex objects. So in his own way, he was punishing them for being successful. How dare they? You know, you... <laughs> Several months went by, and on May 31st of um, 2002, Derek attacked and murdered 22-year-old Charlotte Murray Pace. 
and she had just graduated from LSU and was planning on moving to Atlanta to start her career. Why Atlanta? I don't know. I, I, I hate that city. <laughs> a lot of a lot of LSU graduates either go to Houston, Atlanta, or Dallas. I mean, that's kind of like they call it brain drain. Yeah, they graduate from LSU and then boom, they go to Atlanta because that's where it's a bigger town, bigger jobs. I don't know. The reason I I don't like Atlanta is just because I hate driving through there. Uh, it, it is the worst. <laughs> Atlanta, Chicago, New York, California. Those those are the worst. Dallas. Is second tier, in my opinion. <laughs> Dallas is pretty good now if you're willing to take the tollways. There's a tollway everywhere you go in Dallas. Oh, okay. I haven't been to Texas in a while. But Derek had got fired from yet another job, and she was going to pay for it. And she was found dead in her apartment by her roommate. And he had learned her routine and finally knocked on the door, asked her to use the phone, and like, and like Gina, she let him in, handed it to him, and he hit her with it. She broke her. She broke away from her, but he pulled out a screwdriver and started stabbing her with it, and then he raped her while stabbing her at the same time. Ugh. And how in the hell am I finding all the ones that do that? <laughs> Angus Angus Sinclair did it a while back. Then Pans Ram, then Peter Curtin, and now Derek Codley. Seems like it seems like if if somebody rapes. If, if a man rapes a woman and is, and is killing her at the same time, I'm going to wind up finding him on a freaking episode that I cover. But not, not looking for it, of course, but damn it. <laughs> that's just, that's just, you cannot, you, you can, you can't be more depraved than that, in my opinion. To be raping somebody and stabbing somebody or strangling somebody or whatever at the same time. I don't, it just, it doesn't get any worse than that, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. So, by the time he was done, she had been stabbed 83 times, and she also had multiple defensive wounds, so she was fighting this fucker. Um, police collected the DNA, and Derek had left lots of it. The problem was that they didn't have his DNA on file. So finally, the Baton Rouge police started believing that these murders were connected because Charlotte lived just a few doors down from Gina. In July of 2002, Derek Todd Lee had been stalking 44-year-old Pamela Kenimore. She had an antique shop, and on July 12th, he followed her home, and she had accidentally left the key and the lock on her door. And Derek let himself in and began looking for her, and she had apparently started a bath like as, as soon as she got home, and that's where Derek Todd Lee found her. Um... He barged into the bathroom, scooped her out of the tub, threw her on the floor, and started pummeling her with his fist. He then dragged her down the hallway, and Pamela fought him, and she even drew blood from him. But he kept beating her until she went unconscious. He then dragged her back to his truck and threw her in the passenger seat and took off. Uh, I mean, and this is... I'm assuming that it's either dusk or maybe even still daylight at this point. Yeah, you know, the guy's got the guy's got some serious balls, that's for sure. Just walking through the front, just straight up. Yeah. So, and then just throwing her in the truck and everything. She's probably screaming, and, and nobody saw anything. No, nobody heard anything. Just crazy to me, but especially down. Oh, yeah, she was she was on um, Stanford Road, right? Yeah. No, no, Pam Kenimore was in. Uh... 
a neighborhood. I think it's called Kensington. I could oh, be okay. wrong, but uh, yeah. I mean, like I said uh, yesterday, I, I mean, I <clears throat> my daily work, way home from work. I sometimes cut through that neighborhood, and it's like literally the fifth house on the right when you the neighborhood, and it's you know five houses off. I mean, it's not even a quarter of a mile from a major highway, uh, US sixty one airline highway here in Baton Rouge. Okay. So it was, I mean, it's a very populated. Yeah. So he drove for about an hour down Airline Highway, and this is this isn't like a highway. This this is like a highway with um with traffic lights. Am I correct? Yes. Airline Highway. Yes. Okay. Airline uh, Highway has traffic lights. Okay, I was trying to I was trying to piece together. I, I don't know if I've been on Airline Highway or not, but but a, a woman. Yeah, a woman noticed that he was swerving as he drove, and and once he stopped at a stoplight, um, Pamela was awake, and she looked out the back window of the truck, and this woman saw her, and she said that there was something not right about her. So she called the police department, told them about what happened, along with a description of the truck and a partial license plate number, but the police weren't able to find him, and the main reason the police weren't able to find him is because Derek Todd Lee, like right after that, got off at an exit and drove underneath the. I'm not going to even try to pronounce the name of it. Basin Bridge, Jody. A Chafalaya Basin Bridge. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> we have names like that in Florida too, but I know them. You might not know them. I do. Yeah, <laughs> you. The the stuff in Louisiana. I don't. I don't know. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I'll tell you, not, it's kind of a funny story, but I mean, it's not really, but I was working for my brother-in-law job at Hotshot, and I was going to uh, Orange, Texas, <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I'm on the Atchafalaya Bridge, right there at Whiskey Bay, where Moore's body was found, right. and uh, my alternator went out of my car. So, I coasted, I got off the, I got off the interstate, and I coasted down to the bottom, well, it's right there on a, on a river, I think it might be the Atchafalaya River, but, but anyway, Whiskey Bay... Well, I was down there and it was, the sun was setting, it was getting dust. And I said, F this shit. And I walked up to the interstate on the ramp and I called my little brother who had a trailer. I was like, come get me. My car broke down. I said, have daddy follow you. That way, um, I, daddy's car and daddy can just ride back home with you. And so he said, okay. So him and my dad come, they, we load my car up on the trailer. I get in daddy's car. And I'm heading to Orange, Texas, because I had to deliver this package. Well, I called my brother a few minutes later, and uh, I said, he goes, I can't talk to you right now. I'm, I'm doing another one. I was like, what? He goes, I, I'll just call you back. So as he was finishing strapping my car down, this female was heading the direction. Her alternator went out. She got out at the same exit, and my little brother walked up to her, handed him his driver's license, and said, look, I trailer and bring you to Baton Rouge and drop it off your car for the mechanic shop. He goes, call whoever you need to call, because he gave her the license, um, to verify or give him my information so you feel comfortable, or you can sit out here at the second most popular serial killing dump site, body <laughs> dump site in America, behind the Green River, and that girl, no hesitation, jumped in the car with my brother and my dad. And as they're heading down back to Baton Rouge, my dad looks over at the girl and goes, I'm a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> what did she do? Uh, then, then my dad had explained the story to her, but you know, she's 
probably bragging to people on TikTok that she rode in the car with Gary Plushy when her car broke down. And nobody, nobody believes her, I'm sure. <laughs> that is awesome. But I'm going to tell you right now, that was a spooky-ass spot to be in the middle of the oh, And I went and stood by that interstate for an hour. stood by that interstate. But but I was in a way where I was on a ramp, so I wouldn't have gotten hit by a car. Right. But I'm telling you. My, and my little brother told me, said, look, my brother's 200. I'll be down here. And so she jumped in that car with my, my dad and my brother, and, and then she got to find out who she was riding with. <laughs> yeah, that's That's hilarious. I mean – but I'm sure that Mullins um, probably dumped the bodies there too. Oh, I'm telling you, it's the second most popular yeah. body site. I don't think Ron Dominique did, but um, but you probably have a lot of one-off murders that get dumped there too, huh? Yeah, there was another one. A girl was on her bike, and some guy went and you know, I guess hit her over the head, threw her, and dumped her by Whiskey Bay as well. I forget her name. I should remember. <sighs> Man. That, that that's a hilarious story though. <laughs> kind of kind of reminded me. I mean, not not literally, but you know, not because it's exactly the same. But that old joke. Um, you know, I picked up a hitchhiker. Hitch, um, hitchhiker says, "Oh, taking pretty big risk picking me up. What if I what if I turn out to be a serial killer?" And then the driver says, "Nah, I ain't worried about it. The chances of there being two serial killers in one car is astronomical." <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminded me of that when you were telling it. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, let me tell you another one off. I mean, this is you know the violence. Is a, so I had to go pick this guy up. I had to go about three hours away to Port Fouchon because he was going to go get on a boat to go offshore for a couple weeks. And I'm sitting there riding in the car with him, and he's telling me he's just gotten out of jail. Uh, I was like, oh, really? Are you there selling drugs? And I'm like, really? How does you know one become a uh, a, a drug dealer. I was like, I mean, how does, and he goes, well, it's kind of the family business. And the guy I went and picked up, his name was Dean Seal, Barry Seal's son. And so I called my little brother and I said, dude, you're not going to believe this shit. I said, but Gary Plochet's son and Barry Seal's son are riding in the same car. And my little brother goes, you're not going to believe this shit. I'm at the light at Winburn and Airline. That's where Barry got shot. My brother was literally sitting at the light where Barry got shot when I called him with me and Barry's son in the car. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and those who don't know who Barry Seal is, look him up, too. His story is – they did a thing like the top five crimes in, Bat, in the history of Baton Rouge, and one was Lee, um, one was my dad, one was Barry. Um, the governor being shot, uh, Huey Long being shot was another one. I forget what the – oh, the – I forget what the fifth one was, but oh, Mullins anyway, didn't so, even make the cut. I think he may have been included with Derek Todd Lee. It may have been like the Baton Rouge serial killers. Oh, okay. I, I'm looking. I'm going to watch this here in a little while. I just found out about it. I'm, I'm sure I read it before, but I was like, okay, now I really got to watch it. Did you watch Butchers of the Bayou on Hulu? Whenever you were doing your research, it came up, it came but on, I found it, it came, came up A and E. It yeah, it it came up, but um, but there I found something I liked better. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to check this out. I got to pull up on my TV right now. Yeah, because they've got they had um, Mullis um, or Mullins, they had um, Derek Todley, and they had Ron Dominique on there. I, th- I think Ron Dominique was on there. But... Let me see. Here's no, wait. I, I remember what it. I remember what it was. I remember what it was. Why I didn't use that one? It's because um, there there was like um, like three or four hour long episodes on um, on. Derek Todd Lee and I just didn't have time to go through all of that. 
Yeah, that's exactly what it is. This yeah. was a four-part documentary Annie did of Derek Toddley. And then the the last one, the last one is Mullins as a, as kind of like a footnote. Oh, here's the other guy. <laughs> so. well, I think they, they look at this one. It says Sean Vincent Gillis. Oh, Gillis, Gillis, Gillis. I kept I was saying Mullins. I, I don't know. Oh, Mullins, yeah, California. Never. The <laughs> that's definitely something I'm gonna check out. So for your listeners out there, if you're like this podcast, you got more things you can go. Uh, down that old rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, I, I met. Yeah, it, I, I wish I, I wish I had gotten started on these notes sooner. Uh, if I had, I would have used that one. I start. I, I had a really busy week this week with podcast stuff. I mean, I, I've recorded. Um, this is the fourth episode I've, re- I've recorded in, um, in seven days, and so I, I wasn't able to get started on the notes until yesterday and I finished them up today like right like about 2 hours before we started recording so I just didn't have time to go all exhausted but I what I'd have I got an awful lot out of so I mean I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm happy with it you, you did your homework I'm going to have to go back and listen to the the references that you used uh, your your sources all right I'll I'll message them to you um once I once I get okay. back you know, once once we get done but Anyway, um, hashtag, but I digress, but that, god damn, that was one of the most, the, the funnest digressions we've ever had on this show. <laughs> uh, that, that's the, those, those two, blah, the, <sighs> those two stories that she told were great. <laughs> I loved it. So anyway, um, he dragged Pamela on onto the ground out of the truck and he and he raped her. He cut her throat and then he then he watched her die and then he covered her with leaves and, the, and then took off. And she was found four days later by fishermen and this solidified it. Baton Rouge had a serial killer and the, the women there were terrified, especially the ones around LSU and lots of guns were gun retailers were selling out of product. Like guns and ammo. Um Pamela's Pamela's family. Oh. Was, what's up? And I was to say that, that beer got you. That beer came back and bit you in the throat. But uh, <laughs> I, I do know this: I knew sales of uh, pepper spray and mace went up for sure. Yes, that too, um, and tasers. Everyone was on high alert. You know, they're talking about. And I mean, I recommend this since I did safety education for years at Victim Services in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. I mean, if you are gonna, you know, go walk around. She likes still. She has beautiful legs. She can go walk around them. You know, don't wear headphones. Be aware of your surroundings. Travel in packs because people who victimize other people are looking for people who are easy targets. I'm not, I, I don't even want to say what I'm about to say because it's, it's terrible, but they look for keys in the door. They look for, mm-hmm. uh, open windows. Um, if you've got a little yappy dog, it's like, but if you've got a Rottweiler, you know, it's going to, you know, make them not want to break into your house. Uh, so, um, try not to make yourself an e- easy target and be aware of your surroundings. Don't cover your ears right. and, 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 go, and go in groups. I mean, my, my hearing is, is bad. Um, and you know, when I'm out and about, especially if I'm, you know, and I, I'm a, I'm six foot four to two um, thirty, Um, and I will, you know, even then, it's just like because my hearing is diminished, I'm constantly 
looking all around me and everything because I, you know, it's like if I'm out by myself at night or whatever, you know, especially like at a truck stop or something like that, you know, my, my head is on a swivel all the time at, at all times. I'm not sitting there in my phone as I'm, as I'm walking or anything like that. I'm completely aware of my surroundings. Not, not because I'm, I think I might get jumped or whatever, but that is a possibility. But, you know, there could be a car coming that I might get squashed by or something, you know? <laughs> I, I tell this story in my book. All right. So I was talking to my friend, uh, Hav, and he used to be the GM at the Hooters right up the street. And I was telling him how it bothers me that when the girls leave their shift at night, you know, they're screwing around on their phone. They're not paying attention to their surroundings. Uh, they're counting their money as they're walking to the car. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I was like, you need to, you need to talk to him and tell him to, you know, be aware. And so he, one time he, he t- told the bartender, and she, you'll never get me or something like that. Cause he said he, he was, he was surprising girls. He would follow them out. And then when they would go to open their car, he'd shut the door and, and she'd say, oh, you'll never get me. And so one night he went, got the key, her keys out of her purse in the back, opened her door. And then when she went to leave, he hid in the back seat. And she did wasn't even paying attention. She didn't even notice the guy, you know, squatting down in the when she started the car, he was like, Gotcha. And I mean, you just <laughs> gotta be aware of your surroundings. You gotta pay attention. That's very important. Definitely. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean yeah, it's, it's 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 you have to do that anyway, but especially if your hearing is diminished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why you don't wear the earphones so you can hear if someone comes up on you. Right. So Pamela's family was proactive and they bought billboards offering seven, uh, $75,000 for information leading to Derek Todley's arrest. So um, DNA from Charlotte and Gina matched the DNA collected from Pamela. Um, a multi-task agent, a, a multi-agency task force was set up uh, to try to get to try to get this guy. And it included the Baton Rouge Police Department, the Sheriff's Office, the FBI, the State Police, and even members from other parishes nearby, including Detective David McDavid from Zachary. And he shared all of his research with the task force, and he told them, it's like, this is the guy. <laughs> and But the task force had their eye on somebody else, and because witnesses near the homes of Charlotte and Gina had seen a white man in a white pickup truck. Nope. De- definitely not a black man. Serial killers only kill within their own race. It's everybody knows that. <laughs> um, and and because of that, the blood of two more women is on their hands just because of their good old boy mentality. You know, if they if they had just listened to McDavid, they could have ordered a, D- a DNA test on Derek Todley, and that would have been it. So. You, you know who made made up one of the sheriff's task force? Uh, fortunately, two weeks ago we had to bury him, but, um, the two cops in the video with my dad, the shooting, the one that was w- walking next to my karate teacher, he's the one that we had to bury. His name was Blake Connor. Mm. Um, and though they were on one of the task force and I have another really good friend of mine. Um, her husband was also on the task force. And when I was in Pennsylvania, I'd follow along on what was the court TV message board and her, Screen name was Task Force Wife, and that and that's how I knew it was her, and so we made that connection. Oh, because of this case. Yes, on wow. a message, you know, miles away from each other. Yeah, that's cool. So, so even though I was in Pennsylvania, my point is, 
it was hitting close to home with me. I mean, here you got, you know, the police officers I know on a task force. Um, you know, he killed a middle school uh, classmate. Um, not to mention, I ride by Pam Kilmore's house almost every day. So, I mean, this was something that was affecting my friends because they were talking about it. We even had a my friend who was a bartender. Uh, we she, she nicknamed one of her regulars, or a friend of ours nicknamed one of her regulars, a serial killer, because she got drunk one night and they were looking for a creepy white guy in a white truck, and he set all the checked all the boxes, and she called the hotline and was like, "Hey, look into this guy." Um, I mean, he was harmless. He just had a crush on the bartender, but <laughs> you know, he fit the profile. Right. Now we're gonna get to that too. Um. So Derek began stalking women in Lafayette, which was 55 miles away from Baton Rouge. Now, July 9th, 2002, this is when he makes his first mistake. Um, he, Derek Toddley attacked Diane Alexander at home in, was it Bro Bridge? Bro Bridge? Bro Bridge. Bro Bridge, which is 35 miles from Baton Rouge. He had knocked on the door and asked if if he could use the the, the phone, and th- this is where the phone murders started because there are a couple of them. And he attacked her, and he tried to um he he attacked her with the phone, and you know he beat her with it, and he he tried to rape her, and he tried to strangle her, but luckily for her, her son pulled up at that point, and and Derek hauled ass. You know, six days later, she reported the attack and gave a full detailed description of Derek Todd Lee. Now, the description looked like Derek Todd Lee, of course, a black man. But the task force ruled it off as a one-off attack because their suspect was white. <laughs> you got, you can't help but laugh. They, they swabbed 1,200 white men and white pickup trucks for DNA, and of course, that came up with nothing. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what it came up with? It came up with a lot of people finding out that their DNA isn't what their their, her- their heritage isn't what they thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> so the the kill the kill. <laughs> The killer at that point was being called the ghost of Baton Rouge. And, and what color are ghosts? White! Everybody knows that. <laughs> Nobody said that. I, I said that. <laughs> so um, on November of 2002, the body of Trinisha Colum was found in the woods outside of Lafayette. And she was visiting her mother's grave when Derek Todd Lee saw her. And he beat her and he bashed her head on a tree and he raped her. This was his mistake. Yeah, this, well, this is, this was his first major this was his mistake. Biggest, this was his biggest mistake. Right. Um, I'll tell you his, why. I've been, I've been holding off on this. I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. Okay. Well, he would, he, he, um, his mistake with Diane Alexander was he didn't case her the way he had cased everybody else previously. If, if he, if he had, he would have known that she had an, an adult son that could probably kick his ass. <laughs> but, um, so first they were trying to dismiss this one as another one-off murder, but then the DNA matched the DNA found on the other victims, but Trinisha was black. <laughs> That's, and who's a lawyer here. I've been waiting, I've been waiting on this. 
my friend who was a lawyer in Baton Rouge, as soon as they she showed up, he was like, they're looking for a black guy. And that's when it changed. <laughs> that's that's probably when your boy David McDavid got his cred and they're like, you know what, let's uh maybe we'll look into this. Yeah, I'm getting to that too. And I I, I have some speculation about how he could have handled himself, although he's a he's a professional. <laughs> so March 3rd of 2003, 26-year-old Carrie Yoder was kidnapped from her Baton Rouge apartment. And she was found 10 days later in Whiskey Bay. And this is where, there you near, go. near where Pamela Ken- Kenamore was found. This is also the same place that some mystic force kills alternators randomly. <laughs> On the same night. On the same night. <laughs> um but she had been beaten and raped, and she was also a white brunette. And the DNA linked her to the killings as well. So Let me ask you this question, because I don't know. i got to ask you this. Okay. They can't determine race, or they couldn't back then? I'm getting to that. By DNA? Right, I'm getting okay. to that right now. <laughs> um, a genetics ex- expert was called in to test the DNA, and when it was analyzed, the task force was shocked to find out. Wait for it. Almost there. The ghost. The ghost of Baton Rouge was a black man. (laughs) So they put all the pieces together and realized that the man who Diane Alexander had described, as well as the machete victim, was, in fact, Derek Todd Lee. And billboards with that composite, they went up all over Baton Rouge and the press con- the, the the press conference the police held a press conference with egg on their faces hey, yeah we told you it was a white man but he's black <laughs> and i do i do want to say one thing that i mean we are you know trying to have a good, good time talking to this and be entertaining we are not laughing at the women who were killed we are laughing no. at the attitude of the Baton Rouge Police Department. I mean, because, right. yeah, they've been saying it's a white guy all along, a white truck got a white truck, and they were even, if they would have opened their eyes just a little bit and opened it uh, and, and tested that DNA earlier, they would have found these things out. So that's that's what we're kind of laughing at. We're not laughing at the dead women. No, I would never, I would never do that, and I've, I've, I've said it before. That well, I've seen, yeah, people get bit out of shape, and I just wanted to qualify yeah. that, just so in case they did, that that's not what we're laughing at. I said on my, on my last episode, uh, Bernie Teed, which it's my current, my current episode that's up now. Um, well, not now if they're listening to this because that means the, the previous one. <laughs> hey, look, there's a kitty cat. <laughs> oh yeah, she's been here the whole time. But yeah, there's only been two victims that I made fun of, and that was because they were both pieces of shit. And that was um, Henry Lee Lucas's mother. I'm not saying that she deserved to die, but she was a piece of shit. And um, the other is. Dee Dee Blanchard, Gypsy Rose Blanchard's mother, who, uh, if you're not familiar with that story, it's one of our, it's one of my early episodes. Go check it out. <laughs> uh, that, that woman deserved to die and her daughter, Gypsy, did not, you know, she should have never been sent to prison, although she's getting, being released any day now, literally. So, but. I'll have to go check that out. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy case. And when you start looking into it, you'll probably be like, okay, I remember that. But, um, I can imagine 
Detective McDavid walking around the task force members, not saying a word, just making eye contact and just walking away. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> kind of like a mic drop without a mic. <laughs> well, that's when you don't like to be right. You know, that's when you don't like to be like, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here, you've got an entire task force of mul- you know, multiple law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, all say- all dismissing what he's saying. And he was right. <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. So this is, I, I, yeah, I, I, I applaud this guy. I'd like, I'd, I'd love to get him on the, on the show. Speaking of which, I bet, I met, uh, so in May of 2003, Detective McDavid showed up at DTL's house, Derek Tudley's house with a court order for Derek's DNA. Three leak, three, three leak. Three weeks later, it was confirmed that the ghost of Baton Rouge was, in fact, Derek Todd Lee. <laughs> Once again, David McDavid was validated. <laughs> so they they went to arrest Derek, only to find that the ghost had ghosted. <laughs> I got a story for this one, too. It's affected a friend of mine. Okay, well, give me one second. He and his family had taken off to Atlanta right after the DNA was taken. All right, let's hear the story. <laughs> All right, so before they knew where Derek Todd Lee was, uh, they knew who he was, and they knew who they were looking for. They were looking for, how tall was he? Uh, Derek? Did, did you... God, I didn't put that in the notes. They did say it. I think he was like 5'10", but, but no, 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 uh, no. He, he was I like think five, he, was he was bigger was... than that. Um, Hold on, let's find out. Because I'm curious, because I, I don't remember. I've 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 been through so many cases over the past week and everything. I like they're all kind of get jumbled. Hold on. How tall was Derek Todd Lee? Five ten. That's it. Yeah. Oh, he was bigger than that. All right. So anyway, friend of mine. Uh, he used to play, uh, for the Buffalo Bills and he played, I want to say one year with the Minnesota Vikings. And around that time, he was driving from up north from either Buffalo or Minnesota down and to Nashville. And he got him a room in Nashville and somebody saw him and they, this is when the APB was out for Derek Todd Lee, you know, and he's a, you know, big black guy who would look intimidating. And so someone at the hotel that he was staying at called and said, Hey, look, we got a potential suspect. And the police went busting in his room, threw him into the ground and detained him until he realized he was Derek Todley. I think I remember, I think I remember hearing about that. Seriously. He told me that was one of the scariest moments of his life. I bet. I mean, I, I, I think, I think I remember hearing about that because yeah, this is 2003. Um, the Bills. His last year was oh, he got cut in oh one, and I'm not going to say what team he was with at that point because I, you know, I don't want to say his name, but I don't right. think he would care one way or the other. But you know, it's oh, just okay. the fact. That... So he, so he wasn't, he wasn't playing at the time. At the time, no. Oh, okay, okay. I, I then I didn't hear about it. I, I, it, 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 it sounded familiar. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just. But then again, there's a 
there's another, that's another connection. I mean, so that, that's why I kind of recommended this because it being so close to home, I mean, even just closer home when your friends being detained as a suspect. Right. I mean, there, there there's definitely a, a lot here and it's, and I, I, I love your insight on the case being, you know, being here. It might have you back on when we co- when we cover Gillis. <laughs> okay. May 26, 2003, um, a warrant was issued for Derek Todley and the in- information was sent out nationwide. And, um, your, your old friend John Walsh profiled him as the number three killer from 2002 on America's Most Wanted. <laughs> we gotta get this scumbag. <laughs> my John Walsh, my John Walsh impersonation. Yeah, that was, that was great. If you haven't listened to the inter- the Jody Plachet interview yet, he does a pretty good Barack Obama as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what we're looking for is we're looking for a black man. That black man might look like me. <laughs> That's my my <laughs> Barack Obama. <laughs> uh, I, I'm 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 going to give the accents a a little. Re- I I I can usually do a. Pretty decent Barack Obama, but um, but the past couple times that I've tried an accent, I I failed horribly. So I'm just I'm just not let the accent sit for a, a little while unless I'm doing like one of my characters or something like that. Back when I had an office job, when I was in Pennsylvania, I would have like Ozzy Osbourne day where I would just talk like Ozzy Osbourne all day long. <laughs> I'm the prince of darkness. I don't need bubbles. I'm the prince of darkness. I don't need. <laughs> if you've ever seen that, go to YouTube where, like, literally, he's watching the band introduce, like, how he's going to come out on stage, and they got bubbles flying around. And he looks at Sharon and is like, I'm the prince of fucking darkness. I don't need bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm gonna have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> so, Derek told his wife that the police were after him, but he didn't do it. Wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't leave all that DNA all over the place. Wasn't me. <laughs> but when she saw the America's Most Wanted episode, she contacted the FBI, and um, she told them that he. That he was working on a motel, but he er, working at a motel, but he hadn't told her which one. So the police were able to track him down, and he was arrested without incident. He was given up by his own wife, and I hope that the rest of her life is amazing. I really do. I hope she just has a great life. And if if you have any details about that that says otherwise, I don't want to hear it. I want to. Imagine that she like won the lottery and, um, you know, found herself a nice man and they lived happily ever after. That's, 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 and he'd be probably a little bit, you know, I don't know how old she was, but he'd be, you know, Derek Todd Lee was a little bit older than we are. Um, he was born in 68. I was born in 73. Um, I'm 72. Yeah. So, so yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm just hoping that, the rest of her life was great because, you know, the, the her time with him was hell. So, <laughs> so um, 
During the interrogations, he said he was remorseful and he was ready for death, but he never admitted to being a serial killer. Did you ever see the footage of him being returned back to Baton Rouge? No. Uh, your dad wasn't there, obviously. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm getting at. They didn't take him to the airport. They took the paddy wagon out to the tarmac oh. and loaded him. Loaded him, and they didn't walk into the terminal. <laughs> they, they learned their lesson. <laughs> uh, we covered um, oh, what, what the hell was his name? Reese, can't remember. Texas, William Reese. Um, when he was being extradited, either from. Oklahoma to Texas or from Texas to Oklahoma, one or the other. I can't remember the state where he was going to. They met the state where he was coming from at the location where he killed one of his victims. How boss is that? That's that's crazy. That's a boss move right there. (laughs) So. In court, a DNA analyst placed him at the scenes of all of the murders. He was found guilty of Charlotte Pace and Geraldine DeSoto, and he was sentenced to life in prison for DeSoto's murder. And for Charlotte Pace, he was sentenced to death, and he was sent to Angola, where in a few years he would get a new neighbor, neighbor, Mr. Potato himself, Ronald J. Dominique. (laughs) My old buddy. (laughs) Do they have a special serial killer ward? I don't know. But, I mean, I, I don't know if um, Ron Dominique is in charge of the putting the pepper in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I'll tell you how boring life it is in Louisiana. In my senior year in high school, we took a field trip to Angola. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, wow. let's go to the state penitentiary. It was interesting, though. <laughs> the farm. Yeah. They had an A&E, I think, had a really good... Uh, Doc, or a little you know, show about Angola, you probably can find. It. I think it's titled "The Form." Uh, it's from back twenty something years ago because I watched it in Pennsylvania, um, and I've actually flown over it. It's pretty cool. You know, you look down; it's right there on the Mississippi River. You got Tunica Hills, and really, they have like the main gate guarded, but their boundaries are the Tunica Woods and the Mississippi River. And no one w- wants to go through Tunica Woods, and no one wants to go in the Mississippi River. <laughs> That's funny, but I mean, I I I said earlier that I wanted to um like if I ever cover um Eileen Warnos, I want to go to her bar. If I ever cover Ted Bundy, which I have no plans on covering him anytime soon, ever, if ever. But if you I want to go stay a week at a sorority house, <laughs> no, I want to um I want to go to um Stark, um Ray Rayford, you know. Florida State Penitentiary, where um, where he was executed, and I want to. Where set, Old Sparky got him. Yeah, I want to set up in um, I want to set up in the room where um, where Old Sparky is, and film and record it there. That would be cool. That would be awesome, but they wouldn't let me. I'm sure they wouldn't let me I, bring bring beer in there though. Yeah, I doubt they would let you do that. <laughs> but hey, I I would still do it. That, that that's like two and a half hours from me. Maybe a little bit, maybe three hours, but no, about, about two and a half hours from me. <laughs> but, um, 
but I think that would be good just for aesthetics purposes. You know, you got the got the oh, old ban- banner up in the background in a dark, grungy room. Maybe have like old Sparky right there in the in the side view of the of the camera. <laughs> Do they still use old Sparky? Old Sparky is waiting. Old Sparky is still functional. Um, he he just if a if a inmate wants to request to be electrocuted, they will so that they'll do it. But so old Sparky is just sitting there waiting, just waiting patiently. Didn't he catch someone's hair on fire or head on fire one time? That was um the Green Mile movie. Okay. <laughs> Where all the butterflies came. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, January 21st, 2016, Derek Todd Lee died of heart disease at 47 years old. And uh, he's still a cautionary tale at LSU, much like Danny Rowling is at, at UF and Ted Bundy is at Florida State. So, um, but that's it. That's what I got. Well, you ended on a happy note. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime one of these pukes dies or whatever. But, um, what a, what a turd. Yeah. I mean, God, thanks for, thanks for suggesting that one to me. I mean, I, I was aware of him. Sure. And I, I knew that there was two serial killers, um, operating at the same time in Baton Rouge. And that, that's like the only place that that's happened other than California. Um, so I, I was definitely interested in one, the more I, yeah, the more I started putting these notes together and everything, I was just like, Whoa. <laughs> ain't lasted everything. Huh? I said, Louisiana ain't lasted everything. You know, education. <laughs> we got the serial killers. What's up there with California? Hey, we got Florida and Louisiana representing right here. <laughs> but I don't, are there any other? Well, Ed Kemper stalked, um, college campuses, but. I can't think of any others, and it's just like when anything. Some somebody asked me, "Oh, what songs do you know?" A bunch of them. And I just draw a complete blank, and it's the same thing here. I know, I'm sure that there have been other serial killers other than like um, Ed Kemper, Derek Todd Lee, Ted Bundy, and Danny Rowling that stalked um, college campuses. I'm sure there's a lot more. Oh, wow. um, that's where. Again, they call it like the freshman year, they call it like the red zone. It's when a female's like most vulnerable when they go off to college because they've never been by themselves. Right. They're trusting everything's been, you know, rainbows and sunshine. Um, and they don't realize that there are people out there that don't have their best intentions at hand. Right. So, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, those guys, I do. I, I'm just curious because I, I don't know. I've, I've never been really close to Florida State. I mean, I've been to Tallahassee a hundred times, but um, I've never actually been close to the Florida State campus. How, however, in um, at University of Florida, your arch rival. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I think that's Bama. Oh, speaking, of, uh, the Dolphins are about to come a little bit. Do yeah. You, do you watch the? Do you watch the, the broadcast or do you watch uh, Peyton and Eli? I love Peyton and Eli. Um, I I I have seen Peyton and Eli a couple times, and um, I love it. But 
for a Dolphins game, I'm just going to have to watch the regular broadcast. I I just I, I'm going to be more focused on the game than what the announcers are saying. But Peyton and Eli, that that is pure gold. I I freaking love that. <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you what else is really good to watch, and, and hopefully it'll they'll do it again. Is when the college football playoff the national they have what's called the coaches room. They have like four or five coaches sitting in there, kind of like, oh yeah, you know what? They're sitting in motion. The safety's going with them. They're in man. Okay, they're going to run a draw. And, I mean, sure enough, they run the draw. <laughs> the coaches in there just talking and, and reacting on what they're watching. If you're really into football and you know football, that is really good. I, I would like to see, um, like, you know, Tony Romo sit in on a um, on a Peyton on a Peyton and Eli episode and just like collab with him because he's he's really good as as a broadcaster. Yeah, I was wondering like, has he been a guest? I don't recall seeing him, but yeah, yeah. But Romo, knows. I mean, even I, I was at an LSU Arkansas game one time, and LSU was winning, and they were kind of like in the, the sh- shotgun, and they just kept running this dive off the right hand side, and it was it was a it looked like a read. The quarterback could pull it and run if he wanted to. And Arkansas couldn't stop it. They were getting seven, eight yards of pop, right? Mm-hmm. I'm watching it, and all of a sudden, they were on the same play again, and they sent a linebacker blitz. And they eight yards, they got two yards. And so I announced to the crowd that was around me in the south end zone of Tiger Stadium, I said, he's about to pull it. He's about to pull it. And sure enough, they ran the exact same play. Arkansas ran the exact same blitz that brought that linebacker from where it was at into the, the gap, which to the hole. And right then, Jordan Jefferson, he pulled it and he ran 50 yards for a touchdown. And uh, it's, it's just, if you know what you're looking for, which I don't, I don't know what I'm looking at anymore when it comes to college football, because there's so many different read, run pass options yeah. and all this stuff. But, you know, that was Les Miles's offense back in 2011. And I, I'm down with Les Miles's offense in 2011. And so I knew what I was looking for. I knew what I was looking at. But it's so great to see all those coaches in there. They're knowing exactly what the other team's going to run. And I, Deion Sanders said it best. They were talking about um, Michigan uh, stealing signals. And Deion said, you know what? He goes, when I played for the Cowboys, they knew Emmitt was getting the ball. They knew Troy Aikman was going to throw it to Michael Irvin. And they knew that they were going to throw it to the tight end. He's like, knowing it's one thing. Stopping it is another. Right. I mean, I'm well, going to make like, a prediction. It's like, it's like, it's like, um, the Titans players are going to know that Tua Tagovailoa is going to throw the ball to, um, Tyreek Hill. Stop him. That was my That's, prediction. Yeah. <laughs> my prediction was going to be Tua's going to throw it deep to Tyreek Hill. Well, that happens about yeah. three or four times a game. <laughs> yeah. Good, good luck stopping it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, God, I, the freaking, um, <laughs> the, Chief, the Chiefs lost last, yesterday and, um, and God, what a fucking whiny little bitch Patrick Mahomes is. The guy was clearly my mother. My mother would be mad at that. She loves her some Mahomes. Well, I did too until yesterday. I mean, he's like, um, you know, the the receiver was clearly lined up, and his his foot was blocking the rest view with the ball. So that's how offsides he was. They threw the flag like right at the snap. So all every all the spectacular shit that happened after that didn't even matter from that point, and and he's crying like a baby, like uh, what uh, you're you're calling against us for what? Uh, how dare you? You know, it's sounds like Greta Thunberg up there, um, you know, bitching about a flag. How dare you? How dare you? All right. <laughs> you know? And all right, so <laughs> my opinion, all right, 
is uh, how much does uh, Mahomes get paid? More than a half a billion dollars? Yeah. That's what his contract's for? Uh, you know what? If, if Mahomes to get upset over a, the right call, um, he'll do it. I think, uh, I think the NFL is a, a show. It's a TV show. It's entertainment. Yeah, but that was a legit call, though. I mean, you know, it just that was a legit call. The, the, the refs this year have been like getting so much wrong. It's like worse than it's ever been. But that was a freaking legit call. But a lot of the bad calls that are non calls and everything benefit the Chiefs all year long. And then he wants to bitch and whine because they, um, because they called one legitimately for once and it didn't benefit the Chiefs. <laughs> no, it was a legit. He lined up all sides. Right before I, we got on, I talked to my brother and, uh, he said that. Five other times that receiver lined up in the exact same spot, in the exact same location, like directly on the ball, and they didn't call it. Then again, they didn't know what a spectacular play, one of the best plays in the history of the NFL oh, uh, was going to get called back, but, you know, it just happened. Uh, like I said, I but think the, – the, the, flag, the flag was thrown right at the snap. So it's just like it, it, it wasn't like it changed anything. The play was over for – um. For offensive offsides, it, it stops. There's no free play or anything like that, like there it, is on the defensive offsides. Well, in that, that that flag may have actually been what made Kelsey throw the ball backwards because he may have thought he had a free play because maybe he thought the other team was offsides. You know what I'm saying? Could be very often. Well, that, very that, rarely that makes sense. They call offensive offsides. So Kelsey may have thought he had a free play. That's why he was able to do that. Whereas if he didn't think he had a free play, he would have never thrown that ball. Right. Um, but that was, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, but hey, I'm, uh, I think I'm, it was part I'm of good. the show. I'm, I'm good. You gotta... Yeah. We, we, we win tonight. Um, we are sitting at 10 and three, um, tied with the, the Ravens at 10 and three, um, tied with, you know, and on the NFC side, the, you've got the, um, the 49ers, the, um, and the Cowboys are also at ten and three. So there's four teams at ten and three. And the Eagles, and... right? The Eagles are ten and three. Didn't they drop to ten and four? No, no, they're they're ten and three as well. They lost yeah. to the Jets, Niners, and the Cowboys. Right. Um, but anyway. Um <laughs> Well thanks for um thanks for thanks for coming on. I mean, yeah, definitely let me know about um about next week. I mean, just like the sooner the better so I can start writing the notes if we're if we're gonna cover Gillis like for the, the next episode. I'd like to, because it would make sense to, to have the two Baton Rouge back to back. Okay. Like I said, I'll look to see what I got going on and I'll let you know. Okay. But, but definitely, you know, thank, thanks for, thanks for coming on again. I, you know, I definitely, I uh, hope you're at crime con because I want to have, you know, I, w- I want to have some drinks and talk football with you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. So. Anyway, um, Check out our, you know, our social media and all that stuff. Give us a, you know, give us a, a, a like and a review and all that stuff, you know, all that good stuff. Tell a friend. If you like us, tell a, tell a friend. If you hate us, tell an enemy. Haven't said that in a while. Um, and definitely, you know, look at, you know, I'm going to, we're going to link, um, Jody's, um, Jody's website in this. Definitely check that out by his book. Um, he's, pleasure to have you on brother and i can't wait to have you on again you know hopefully sooner rather than later <laughs> all right well, it was fun yes sir um all right and until which is, next which is a ter- which is a terrible way to describe a 
killers, crime killers, cults, and you know, beer. It's, but it's I mean, the beer that makes it fun. <laughs> it's the beer that makes it fun. But I mean, it, it, you have to have you, you. I don't know. I you have to you have to be able to laugh at these at these pukes. I mean, I I, I could I couldn't see myself being one of these podcast hosts that just like sits there and just and just rattles off the facts without any commentary on it or anything like that. You know, if, if somebody asked me to do that, I wouldn't be able to do it unless they wanted to pay me a lot of money. <laughs> and nobody's going to pay a, a lot of money for me to sit down and, you know, as, as tongue-tied as I get. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks for having me. Oh, thank, thanks for being on, and we will talk to you soon. Um and until next week, later. Goodbye. If you're still listening, thank you for listening to the very end of the episode. But and I just got to throw this in there. Yes, I know the Dolphins blew a huge lead, you know, a, a, a big lead, and lo- and lost in like the last three minutes of the game. I know. I yes, I know. Okay, don't come at me. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you next week. <laughs>